Hey, welcome. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock, and uh, we will have the Epic Times with us. Nathan Wooster is down in South Carolina. We'll uh, get an update on what's going on there. That'll be at 1035. In the meantime, we kick off this segment with uh, Professor Murray Sabrin, uh, Professor Emeritus Ramapo College. Uh, he's written a piece about Ukraine, and we'll talk to him about that under the fog of war. Ukraine cancels its 2024 presidential elections. Why we're spending all this money or even fighting about spending all this money on Ukraine is baffling to me. But I also want to talk to him about, as we always do, the economy. Wall Street Journal has an article uh, from a former member of the Fed. says, uh, don't worry about the soft landing. We're already there. Uh, the Fed has already achieved a soft landing. Something could go wrong in the future, but we're already safely on the ground. Uh, the uh, article goes on to say, start with the landing at 2% part. Chairman Powell emphasized that the Federal Open Market Committee uh, would like to see a few more months of very low inflation before declaring victory and embarking on, a ra on rate cuts. And that's a reasonable attitude. But look at the recent inflation numbers. Using the Fed's preferred measure, the deflation for personal consumption expenditures, the inflation rate over the past 12 months, which in June 2022 was 7.1%, is now down to 2.6, almost there. That 2.6% rate, however, includes the 4% annualized inflation rate of the first quarter of 2023, which will fade out of the calculation within a few months. The annualized six-month PCE inflation rate is now almost exactly 2%. In case you're wondering, and the annualized three-month inflation rate is barely above zero. That's a strong downward trend. Professor Sabrin, welcome to the program. Uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, should we welcome your wife, too? Because she's... Well, she's not in the car yet. She's not in the car She's not in the car yet. She's just uh, going, uh, coming back from uh, everyone's pleasant visit to the dentist, the root canal. Oh, that's so much fun. That's my second favorite activity. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like listening to the Gary Nolan show. Oh, that's even worse. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's listening to Joe Biden's press conference. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it, it, are you satisfied that uh, they've pulled it off and that we've got a soft landing? Well, as Yogi Berra once said, it's not over till it's over. So uh, uh, the, the monetary tightening that's taken place by the Fed uh, still hasn't had its, its impact the way I and others have thought it would, because uh, we've seen already companies are laying off uh, uh, employees left and right. And it's just a matter of time before we see, uh, I think, a, a stampede of uh, layoffs around the country because um, uh, consumers have taken on so much debt and how much more can they spend given that their debt totals have just gone through the roof. So um, I expect consumer spending to probably slow down over the next several months. And uh, this is going to be a very volatile year in the economy, as it was, as it will be politically, because um, everything that could go wrong, uh, Gary, is going wrong. Uh, money for two wars in the, in the Mideast and uh, Ukraine, uh, budget deficits approaching $2 trillion and supposedly a great economy uh, because of Joe Biden, which uh, has nothing to do with uh, how good the economy is or how good it has been. And uh, we just have spending that is just out of sight. It's going to go up no matter who's in office. And that's sad situation is that people think they really have a choice in November between a Republican and a Democrat, but uh, spending keeps on going up no matter who's going to get elected. 
In the same uh, diurnal, uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, they have a, a story on the front page uh, by Jesse uh, Newman and Heather Haddon. And they say it's been 30 years since food ate up this much of your yeah. income. Yeah. Uh, and, it, yeah. and it's not likely to go down. Oh, no. Uh, food prices <clears throat> seem to go uh, up and up, and that's why uh, every week we get a flyer from Publix in the local paper, and we just wait for the two-for-one sales. And that's the way you save money on food, is that you look at items that you use, and if they're on sale, two-for-one, you keep on buying it and stocking up if it has a long shelf life. And you've got to be really uh, prudent on how you spend your uh, dollars on food, because uh, you, if you do it wisely, you can save a lot of money over the course of the year, but uh, people are still going out uh, to dinner, and uh, we'll see how that plays out uh, during the course of the year. But uh, because of COVID, I think people uh, feel they have to spend, they have to catch up with what they were missing during COVID, and um, uh, housing seems to be still in pretty good shape. People are still buying cars, and uh, people uh, are taking on an enormous amount of debt, and they're just following the, the federal government's lead. The federal government's taking on, uh, since Trump uh, became president, what, $10 trillion in debt? I mean, it's an obscene amount of money that has to be paid off. Uh, it won't be paid off. The interest has to be paid off, and that's approaching nearly a $1 trillion a year, which is an obscene number because that's money that can't be used for uh, uh, capital investment, for philanthropy philanthropy and other things. So the American people think they're getting a free ride by not having their taxes go up. But the biggest tax there is is inflation because it raises prices across the board. Democrats and some Republicans, Professor, want to send billions more uh, in aid to Ukraine. And it, by the way, the most bizarre argument I've heard is <laughs> this is this is good for the economy because the manufacturers of this uh, ammunition uh, are right here in the United States. They make something in uh, Kansas uh, f for uh, some missile thing, and they make uh, something in Ohio for another uh, device. And so uh, we should go ahead and spend this money because not only does it protect Ukraine, but it also stimulates the economy. Well, if you take that argument to its logical conclusion, Gary, it means the United States should be sending money to every uh, country in, in, in the, on the globe uh, that is ha having a, a crisis because of whatever reason, famine, uh, dislocation because of uh, flooding, whatever. I mean, this is the absurdity of, of the uh, economic thinking or lack of thinking that goes on in Washington, D.C., that uh, government spending is an elixir for the uh, U.S. economy and the global economy. This is just so absurd. Uh, somebody uh, called this military Keynesian. Keynesianism. Keynes thought that to get out of the Depression in the 1930s, the government had to spend, and now people think that in order to have a robust economy at home, you have to spend on the military. So this is this is a, a nonpartisan issue. This is a bipartisan problem. Both Republicans and Democrats love to spend money because they don't have to pay for it. And I've written on my Substack that if people really believe that money should go to the Ukraine, then they should voluntarily uh, increase their income taxes by 100%, so this way we don't have to borrow, because every dollar that's sent to the Ukraine or to the Mideast uh, to support Israel has to be borrowed, and people don't understand that. So let, let's do honest accounting and let people who support all these wars uh, increase their taxes voluntarily, and members of Congress should uh, give half of their salary to the military-industrial complex so we don't have to borrow uh, $100 billion to pay for all this expenditure.
What did Brian, uh, Brian uh, my producer Brian Hansen, uh, what, what is the name of that, uh, I can't think of this economist, the idiot who said the economy would do well if uh, we th we thought Mars, uh, Martians... Oh, that was uh, Paul Krugman. Paul Krugman. <laughs> Paul I'm Krugman, not sure yeah. he's an economist, though, is he? Uh, actually, I don't think he is. Uh, no, he thinks he is. He's a, he's a propagandist for a big government. That's what he is. And uh, but didn't he make that same? Didn't he make yeah, that same yeah. argument when he said, you know, if we thought we were going to be attacked by the Martians and we geared up all of our military, it would be good for the economy. Yeah, I know. This is this is the mind-boggling aspect of of uh, so-called economists who 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 uh, have won Nobel prizes. Uh, they don't understand the concept of the opportunity cost. This is what Johnson tried to give us back in the 60s, guns and butter, that you could fight the Vietnam War and have the Great Society programs, and all is going to be well. Well, we know how that turned out. It eventually led to a spike in oil prices uh, several years later and two stagflation periods in the 1970s. So these things have long-term consequences, Gary, and uh, any economist worth his salt knows this, but, but economists have become really political operatives for whoever is in, in the White House. You wrote a piece, under the fog of war, Ukraine cancels its 2024 presidential elections. And I thought this was interesting because we've got uh, all of these politicians willing to spend billions of our dollars and dollars that we don't have to support Ukraine uh, because allegedly Ukraine is the good guy here and Russia is the bad guy. Now, I don't disagree about Russia being a bad guy. I don't think they're the good actor either. But you seem to think that Ukraine is not exactly a utopia either. Well, uh, the, the piece that you refer to is, was written by Jordan Shackler. I just cross-posted on my Substack. This is the wonderful thing about Substack. You get uh, uh, articles from other people, and they have such great insights that uh, I figured my readers should have access to it as well. I mean, the whole... Ukraine fiasco is because the United States government didn't want uh, Zelensky and Putin to negotiate more than two years ago. And Putin says if, if Ukraine goes into NATO, uh, that's, a, that's a red line for us, that's a line in the sand, and we can't have that. And so Zelensky was really uh, bullied by Boris Johnson, the former prime minister of England, who went to Zelensky and said, you will not negotiate with Putin a peace agreement. And this is the problem because the neoconservatives control American foreign policy, both Republicans and Democrats have bought into this, and this is why uh, we libertarians have to stand up and, and speak loudly, saying, this is enough is enough, and President Eisenhower was so prescient in his 1961 farewell address that the military-industrial complex has too much power, and we're now seeing it unfold right before our eyes. They're canceling their elections. Uh, they are not a, a free republic. They, they're it's just not worth our money. And, and the other thing it, that occurs to me is that Europe ought to be footing the bill for this. If Europe thinks this is such a bad deal, then they should be going in there and defending their fellow European country. Well, not only that, if they think that Putin is going to march across Ukraine, into Poland, into Slovakia, into uh, Germany, into Hungary, uh, Romania, then they should get together and say to Putin, uh, we will have our armies at the Ukraine border. And if you come one step across the Ukraine border, we're going to have a, a, another European war. You, Putin does not want to invade other countries. That's absurd. Uh, it takes an enormous amount of resources and manpower to do so. And we know that uh, there have been enormous casualties in the Russian army. So the last thing that Putin wants to do is to have uh, 
the body bags come come back to Russia, and the mothers going crazy like they did in the, uh, in nineteen uh, uh, in the late '80s when the bodies were coming back from Afghanistan when the Russians the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. So uh, the, the neocons are, do, are using the propaganda bill of uh, the ma- mainstream media, and they're all involved in it of saying that Putin is the is the, is the current Hitler and that he wants to take over Europe. That's that's an absurdity. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. And they just don't understand the geopolitics of the region. Yeah, the argument is if we don't fight them now, then we'll have to fight them later. And now we're looking at punishing uh, Putin because he killed Navalny. Uh, and I don't, I don't doubt that it, it was a horrible crime, uh, but I don't know that it's our job to punish Putin uh, for being the despot that he is. Well, the the irony here is that an American journalist, uh, Gonzalo Lira, has has died in the uh, Ukrainian prison because he was critical of Ukraine. And uh, I've never heard uh, Anthony Blinken, the, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, or uh, Biden say anything about an American citizen dying in a Ukrainian prison because uh, he exercises free speech rights. And they're supposedly a great democracy, Ukraine. So why are they punishing people, who, especially an American, who's criticizing the regime there? Um, I mean, th- this is this is the, uh, the despicable situation that we're in because of the military-industrial complex of the neoconservative foreign policy is that they want to rule the world. That's the bottom line, uh, Gary. And if the American people say, no, we have troubles here at home that we should be addressing the southern border, uh, the crime in the, in the cities, and uh, if we don't do that, then uh, we're going to wake up one day and the federal government is going to control everything in our lives. And that's the warning of uh, uh, the Austrian economist and the libertarian theorist for the past 50, 75 years. And if the American people don't wake up, uh, then it's their own fault that they, they uh, have gone into bondage because of uh, they didn't pay attention to what's going on today. Well, hopefully uh, we've awakened somebody somewhere and uh, they'll uh, pay attention. Uh, you've got a Substack column, and I love reading it. And if anybody else wants to get uh, your column, tell them how to get to the Substack column. It's Murray Sabrin, S-A-B-R-I-N, uh, dot substack.com. And uh, I'll be writing a lot more articles, uh, given that this is a volatile political year, and um, it's going to be a volatile economic year. And here's the last thing I want to leave you with, Gary. Donald Trump now says he wants to debate Biden, anytime, any place, but yet he opted out of the debates during the Republican primary. So Donald Trump has demonstrated he's one big hypocrite when it comes to debating. Interesting thought. Professor, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary. Look forward to it again. Uh, best to your wife. Hope she's feeling better. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Quick break. We'll be back. Your major appliances are dying early. We'll talk about that. And then what's going on in South Carolina? Epic Times will be with us. We'll find out. Gary Nolan Zimmer, Radio Network. It's 1025. Um, just so you know, in about uh, at, at about 1035, uh, we are going to have uh, Nathan Wooster on from the Epic Times. And as you can tell from the tone of my voice, uh, I'm, I'm troubled by uh, a story that just came across my desk. Uh, we'll have to talk about this, Brian, uh, at 11 o'clock. Uh, uh, maybe at uh, 10 to 11, somewhere around there. But it it deals with funding uh, from the federal government uh, to do more gain-of-function research. 
And you won't <laughs> believe where. Oh, gee. I mean, I, I swore uh, <laughs> during the break. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll try to get to it before 11 o'clock. But if we don't, we'll get it shortly after 11. In the meantime, uh, I was watching a video on, uh, on YouTube about two weeks ago. Dealing with major appliances, uh, this uh, this was a, an appliance repair guy. And if there's an appliance store or an appla- appliance repair guy that's listening to us now and you want to call in, that's fine. But he was they were talking about refrigerators in this case. And now there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal dealing with the same topic. The, um, the sophistication of today's appliances is shortening their lifespan. I remember when I was a kid, my mother had uh, and, and father had a refrigerator in the basement of our house. It was there until I was maybe 17 or 18 years old. And the only reason we threw the damn thing out is because I was defrosting it with an ice pick and I punctured the freezer and the gas escaped. But this thing had a little tiny freezer in the upper right-hand corner with a little plastic door and hinge. And it would ice up, and every few months we would have to thaw it out. It was one of those things, kind of a round, rounded top, no square edge, you know, just very old. And it was there in the basement for as long as I can remember. Damn thing, just, it, it would probably be working today if I hadn't accidentally punctured the, uh, the freezer and let the, the Freon out. They don't make stuff like they used to. Do they? No, they don't even make antiques like they used to. Uh, but today's refrigerators and 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 uh, stoves and, and ovens and things like that have all this electronic stuff. This guy who was talking about refrigerators said, "If you get and and we did this, uh, a French door refrigerator, where they're delivering ice through the door, the ice is the ice makers in the refrigerator, not the freezer." Uh, that is problematic. Those those refrigerators fail more rapidly. Um, and this Wall Street Journal uh, piece, in fact, the guy, by the way, just so you know, the guy said if you want a, a freezer in the door or ice cubes in the door, get a side-by-side. These, uh, these, these new uh, appliances just don't last. Wall Street Journal writes, our refrigerators, washing machines, and ovens can do more than ever from producing symmetrical ice cubes to remotely preheating on your commute home. The downside to all the snazzy features, they're more prone to breaking. Appliance technicians and others in the industry say that uh, there's been an increase in items in need of repair. Yelp users, for example, requested 58% more quotes from thousands of appliance repair businesses last month than they did in January 2022. Uh, the push toward computerization and increases in the quantity of individual components and flimsy materials for undercutting reliability say their even higher-end items aren't as durable. And, you know, I've experienced this, so I... I I believe them. Uh, and then after watching this YouTube video, it's like, holy Toledo, why did we buy this? Just beware. The simpler the device, the longer it will probably last. 
What's going on in South Carolina? We'll find out next on The Gary Nolan Show. This is The Gary Nolan Show. All right. Uh, Nathan Wooster is going to be with us uh, from the Epic Times. He has been, uh, he's the uh, national uh, political uh, res- uh, reporter for the Epic Times, and he's been watching uh, what's going on in uh, South Carolina. We'll get a quick update from him. Uh, getting a lot of response on the uh, the appliances. Uh, Bill says he's used a, if, if, for those of you who don't know, uh, I talked about uh, the story in the Wall Street Journal and a piece that I'd seen on YouTube about these sophisticated major appliances and how they're they're dying an early death because they're so sophisticated and cheaply made. He said, we have a monkey war... Montgomery... <laughs> I just let that slip. Uh, we have used a Montgomery Ward freezer that we bought in 1972. We've been married for 52 years. It still works. Twice a year, we have to unload it, defrost it, then put everything back in. I expect to keep it going for a long time. Yeah, uh, some, of those, some of those old appliances were pretty well made. All right, uh, let me uh, check in with Nathan, Nathan Wooster, and he, of course, with the Epic Times, my favorite diurnal. They update me two or three times a day with news stories, um, and uh, Nathan has been looking at South Carolina. Nathan, it looks like a landslide in South Carolina, and uh, doesn't look really good for uh, Donald Trump's challenger. For the only remaining challenger, Nikki Haley, former governor of the state, yeah, no, it, it would seem from many of the conversations I've had from the polling. Um, not, I mean, there are some other indices that look good for Haley. She's still raising money. Um, she could very well end up throwing in some of these Democrats and independents in the state. That you know, I've talked to a number of people in the state, voters for Haley. Some of them are Democrats. Some of them are independents. Um, but generally, people who are dissatisfied with Trump and with uh, with Biden, but that's not going to be, in my judgment, enough to carry her. So, yes, uh, I guess the real question is just how long can she last? And is there going to be any really credible means of for the Republicans uh, shutting down this contest, which is what they obviously want to do? Is there a, 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 a second, a backdoor plan uh, if something happens to Donald Trump? And she picks up uh, any delegates at all. She would be in a position to be the nominee of the party. She, she has. She already has picked up some delegates. But um, certainly the Trump campaign has been promoting the notion that given her performance so far, even assuming things generously in terms of how many votes she gets and therefore how many delegates she would get. And this, of course, varies from state to state, depending upon whether they have a winner take all system for delegates or proportional delegates. Um, even making generous assumptions, she would probably be at a, posi- a point where she could not win within a week or so of Super Tuesday, which is coming up very quickly. March 5th, I believe, is Super Tuesday. Now, as far as a plan for the Republicans goes, I think the plan at this point is just to stick with Donald Trump. I don't think there's any any obvious backdoor um backdoor opportunities for Haley within the party apparatus. I mean, you could argue, of course, that now uh, hoping to get uh, a Trump in as the RNC head is a way of kind of cementing that. Perhaps there would be more room to maneuver in, you know, the the parts of the party that are less personally allied to Donald Trump. On the other hand, 
I think that a lot of people who in previous election cycles were less comfortable with Trump, you know, they're looking at what the base has said. They're, they're looking at also who is backing Haley. A lot of big name Democrats, a lot of uh, donors who are clearly um, hopeful that someone will come in and prevent uh, Trump from just walking away with the nomination. They're looking at that, I think, and they're saying to themselves, you know, we just there's really no alternative aside from um, standing with Trump. Certainly the Fawny Willis situation and some other developments probably make people, many, some people more optimistic, uh, not so much the recent judgment in New York that could be pretty financially uh, devastating for Trump and, and then also by extension the Republican Party. Uh, but, just, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem as though there's much of a much of an alternative that, that's uh, realistic, at least at this point. I think everybody admires her tenacity and, and perseverance. But I also have to admire the genius of that press conference yesterday. Donald Trump is about to do a, a town hall with Fox News. Everybody knows that her numbers in South Carolina are, are not sufficient to, to secure a win or even be close. And she says, I'm going to have a press conference at noon. Well, right. as, everybody... As she's arriving nearby. <laughs> well, you know, if, if one of the things you want when you're in office is to get as much publicity as you can. Trump's going to do the town hall in the evening. She'd just be completely ignored. But the question was, is she going to drop out? Everybody was there. Brilliant move for, you know, in terms of gaining publicity. Um, but I, I, I should correct you because not everybody was there, although a lot of people were there because there was Donald Trump arriving not at roughly the same time at a nearby airport. So you had, in this case, uh, I think the attempt to draw attention away, even from that, even prior to the town hall, which, again, I, I would agree with you, it was in its way um, a brilliant move. There's, yeah, every event that she has, there's a considerable amount of, of press attention. I don't think it's unreasonable to speculate that at least some media outlets are interested in having her remain in the race um, for a variety of reasons. It adds to the drama. Also, you probably have people who are hoping that Trump is um, challenged. Uh, within the party and uh, but but there remains the question you know some of her statements have left open the possibility that she could run as no labels she could run as a third party candidate if that happens I don't expect her to be drawing many votes away from Biden I think it would really just be Republicans who end up voting for her and that that could end up being a problem for Trump and for the Republican Party up and down the ticket do you think that's what she wants do you think she it, it, in any case uh, vindictively just wants him to lose? I I don't know if she vindictively wants him to lose. Trump himself speculated last night during the town hall that she doesn't know how to get out of the race, um, which I, I don't know if I would say that exactly. She's someone who I think from the conversations I've had here, despite all of the you know current bad blood, she has a political future here if she wants one. She you know, it's not hard to imagine her being a senator or something. Um, and in that case, she would want presumably the backing of the Republican establishment in the state, all of whom, with the exception of, of Ralph Norman and maybe a few others, have gone for Trump over over her. Um, I think I think she will probably, in the end, find a way to to gracefully back down sometime in March, maybe even after Super Tuesday. On the other hand. Um, you know, there is mutual bad blood. There was certainly a great deal of bad blood. It seemed like even personal hostility between her and Vivek Ramaswamy. 
Um, later today, I'm actually driving now to North Augusta, Georgia, where she's going to speak. And a few miles away in Aiken, or rather North Augusta, South Carolina, a few miles away in Aiken, Vivek Ramaswamy is speaking as a surrogate for her. So it'll be very interesting for to see what he for says. Trump. Uh, for Trump, rather. My mistake. For Trump. But it's a surrogate who is also very well known for uh, sort of personal acrimony, it seems, with uh, with Haley, with her, especially with her foreign policy views. Which, again, one of the very interesting dynamics in the race, if you're in libertarian world or adjacent to it, the fact that the Koch network has gotten behind Haley despite her, I think you could reasonably say, more hawkish views. You have people, there was one high-profile member of um, that group that resigned specifically over the Haley endorsement. You have a lot of libertarians who are kind of wondering why this has happened, um, but then I think you have other libertarians who are more... um, more inclined to support Haley, or they at least they're not big fans of Donald Trump. It's a, it's a mixed bag with Trump. I've heard from libertarians that they like him, and others uh, that uh, really can't stand him. Uh, I think he did some things that I liked, and I think he did a lot of things that I didn't like. But I would still prefer him, uh, not over a libertarian, but I would prefer him certainly over Joe Biden. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this uh, uh, unfolds. Last question uh, before I let you go, Nathan. Uh, you listened to Donald Trump yesterday. Did did you think he kind of gave a clue about who he wants for his VP? Do you think he he's made up his mind? What I, well, there was one particular clip circulated of him talking about Ramaswamy and a few other names that has been circulated Um Emphasizing those names. What I found interesting was just a few seconds before that, as he did in North Charleston at a recent rally, he basically made the same remarks about Senator Tim Scott, who was in the audience, saying, you know, Tim Scott has done such a great job speaking up for me, even more than he has for himself. So there's, I mean, there's also the possibility there that he's simply, you know, cultivating Scott as someone who could be in his cabinet, cultivating someone who was, you know, beloved by a lot of Republicans, beloved by a lot of Republicans in South Carolina. Um, At least my sense is that a lot of voters probably wouldn't like Scott. On the other hand, um, that that level of attention, it stands out to me. I think it was interesting that Tulsi Gabbard got such a a strong response, a strong, strong response from the audience. Um, I I mean, very interesting choice. There was at one point talk of RFK Jr. taking her as running mate. But from what I've heard, that's no longer um, such a serious consideration. Time will tell. It is going to be fascinating, and I'm going to keep up to date with it because I'll be reading Nathan Wooster's uh, column. Uh, he is uh, at uh, the Epic Times. They don't know how to pronounce it. They call it Epic, but it's actually Epoch. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying I, to help I you. I call guys. it Epoch usually. <laughs> Do you? Do, do, do you actually, yeah, yeah, and then everybody asks. I thought it was epic, so I, I've started adjusting to what the what the majority <laughs> says. It's not a very libertarian thing to do, adjusting the majority, but I figure more people will understand me if I say epic. All right. Uh, Nathan, thank you for being with us. Look forward to having you back on. Absolutely. Good talking as always. All Bye. right. Take care. Nathan Wooster, Epic Times, or Epoch Times, as it's spelled. On the Gary Nolan Show, and uh, some really uh, ugly news that has come across my desk that will make you furious. Share it with you in just a few on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 10.52, and Brian has listened to me swear (laughs) in the outer studio like a drunken sailor. My ears are burning. 
Uh, there, another story, just, uh, and I talked about the possibility uh, last week. I said uh, Joe Biden is looking at a, uh, another college uh, student loan debt forgiveness plan. Well, he pulled the trigger on it, and I'm telling you, I am furious. I've called him an SOB. I suggested his father was never married. Uh, I mean, it, it, Literally, I am that damned angry. The hubris of this guy... His his uh, he's pulled the trigger on this, canceling student loans of more than one hundred and fifty thousand borrowers. Hundred and fifty thousand people who said yes, give me the money, uh, and the bank said okay. The government's supporting this; they're going to back it up, and now they don't you know they don't have to pay. And I, last week I was talking about this uh, this the ludicrousness of this. Because you wouldn't be able to do this with your house or your car payment. I, I got to. I literally, Brian. I suggest you keep your finger on <laughs> on the dump I button. I have got it there right now. They said Wednesday they're canceling one point two billion dollars in student debt. Uh, for for uh, people who took out quote unquote modest loans and have been repaying it for the you, uh, how many years you paid on your house, Brian? Has anybody said, "Hey, you paid on it for ten years"? <laughs> yeah, forget right. The uh -huh. other, forget the rest. We we'll, do we'll, need the Mortgage Relief Act. Now that I think about it, yeah, you know that would sound good. A borrower can qualify for the forgiveness if they enrolled in the administration's saving on a valuable education program repayment uh, plan. Uh, they uh, said that uh, they've been making uh, at least 10 years of payments and have originally taken out $12,000 or less for college. Well, if it's that damn small, pay it off. Why should I have to pay it off? Hey, Biden needs the votes. I'm furious. <laughs> you know that's what this is all about, well, right? Sure it is. It's absolutely about this. He's losing young voters left and right, and so now he's trying to bribe them with my money so that he can saunter back into the White House. I uh, This is ridiculous. Uh, as, a, uh, as an example, the fact sheet said, a borrower enrolled in SAVE who took out $14,000 or less in federal loans to earn an associate's degree in biotechnology would receive full debt relief starting this week if they've been in repayment for 12 years. Where does that happen? Anywhere else in the marketplace. It doesn't. This is inflationary. You can't have $34 trillion in debt and just throw away billions of dollars willy-nilly for your own political gain. The, this guy should never have set foot in the White House. And I'm particularly angry that the uh, the Democrats are proud of it. Cardona, the, the uh, education secretary, said the forgiveness will happen automatically and brings the total amount of student debt canceled by the Biden administration to about $138 billion for 3.9 million borrowers. And it reflects the president's commitment to deliver relief. 
I'm sorry. I, I know we should be doing this <laughs> in an entertaining and funny way. We should be making fun of the stupidity, the economic ignorance. But it's just that infuriating. Now, if you went to college and you paid off your college loan, don't you feel like you're being ripped off? If you didn't go to college... Don't you feel like you're being ripped off? I would like $12,000 to make up for the money that these people got and I didn't. Why you know why shouldn't I get it? Uh, the, I I guess the part that bothers me this they're just bypassing Congress, and we're just going to take the money because, you know, we, we need it to bribe these people to vote for me. And so, if you don't mind, just give me your wallet. Thank you. In fact, they don't even say thank you. They just take it. I'm going to actually have a, a, a cerebral hemorrhage. <laughs> uh, just the, the hubris of this. This son of a... This uh, 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 S- uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, that, don't you think that's a good... I mean, isn't it... I hear you. Anybody out there just feeling a little crazy about all this? And this is just flipping insane. Democrats will... You know, that end justifies the means mentality. They want to win the White House. If they got to give away the kitchen sink... As long as it's your kitchen sink, they're good with it. Damn it. Knock it off. Uh, all right. I, I, I'll get to the phone calls in a couple of minutes. Uh, let me see what I... I'm a truck driver, and I listen to your show. Uh, used to, that is. What the LGBTQ did in Columbia, your living town at present, uh, which is asked for protection. I don't have time, so it's a very long piece. Uh, by canceling student loans, Biden is looking for votes. Absolutely. I'm glad Biden is giving student loan handouts to younger generations. Makes up for the theft committed by boomers at the expense of folks like me. You know, Anson, that is the dumbest thing you've ever said, and you've said it to me before. Because <laughs> uh, he sent me these uh, messages before. Y'all should have... Set a better example if you didn't want the next generation to repeat your mistakes. It's our turn to pilfer the Treasury. Well, we got ripped off, too. We didn't have a choice. And two wrongs don't make a right. We've got to take a quick break, and then we'll tell you about this other story that's infuriating next on The Gary Nolan Show. This is The Gary Nolan Show. 